0: Alright, welcome back to the Gospel for Life. We have the normal, usual suspects around the table. Jonathan Van Hoogen from Day Spring Reformed Church. Good to be here this morning.
1: <laughs> you look like you wanted to say something else. <laughs> I just trying to see where you were going. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and
0: then Russ Herman Cue Up the Symbols from Cloverdale Reformed Church. Good to be here. Yeah, and I am Josh Bells from The Well Boise. Um, we are starting a new series this morning. Um, Kind of based off, loosely anyway, right, Paul Tripp's book, a brand new book, it's called Do You Believe? And one of the difficulties um, of doctrine, of theology, is, okay, I got the information, now what do I do with it,
2: right? Sometimes people have this pretty strong divide between theology, doctrine, and what they actually would call practical things. And so they see, yeah, it's great to talk about theology and doctrine, but it, it really doesn't impact everyday life. Right. Now, I think that's, that's a misnomer. However, um, it's pretty prevalent. And so Paul David Tripp wrote this systematic theology based upon this idea of, no, doctrine is practical. So he does every other chapter. Here's the doctrine of God, now God in everyday life. Here's yeah. the doctrine of whatever – uh, the church, yeah. church and everyday life. So he goes back and forth to show, oh, no, theology is imminently practical. For life. Yeah.
0: yeah. In fact, Joel Beakey, uh, he's going to be our speaker this year at yes. the Reformation Voice yeah. Conference. Uh, this is not a rerun, by the way. This It is 2022. <laughs> um, And he wrote a book called Doctrine for Life. Mm -hmm. Um, So some people some people see no connection at all. Like, okay, what do I do with all this abstract, you know, theoretical stuff? But other people instinctually know that there's a connection. They just don't know how to make it. Yep. And enter Paul Tripp's book.
1: Right. And you know, years ago, um, R.C. Sproul wrote that book. Everyone's a theologian, and it really is in many ways the same thing. We all uh, process the information that we know about God in some way and uh, you know some uh, some people are good theologians and some people are poor theologians yeah. uh, when it comes to that but when we're talking about uh, theology it is not simply doing theology it is being molded by your belief in a god who uh, governs all things that's right
0: so uh in chapter three we're starting right off with the doctrine of god so these next series of of programs will be okay this is what the doctrine of god is and then this is how you apply the doctrine of god to everyday life so listen to how he begins um talking about god there is only one true God. He is infinite in his being and perfection. He is invisible without body, parts, or passions. He is unchanging, immense, eternal, and beyond comprehension. He is almighty, most wise, most holy. He is completely free and absolute, working everything according to the counsel of his own unchanging and righteous will and for his own glory. He is most loving. "'Gracious, merciful, and long-suffering. "'He is abundant in goodness and truth, "'forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. "'He rewards those who diligently seek Him. "'He is just and fearsome in His judgments. "'He hates sin and will not clear the guilty. "'God is the source of all life, glory, goodness, "'and blessedness in and of Himself. "'He alone is all-sufficient in and unto Himself.' He does not stand in need of any of the creatures that he made, nor does he acquire any glory from them. Rather, he reveals his glory in, by, to, and on them. He alone is the fountain of all being. All things are from him, through him, and to him. He is sovereign over all things to do by, for, and on them, whatever he pleases. He sees all things and nothing is ever hidden from him. God's knowledge is infinite, without error, and without dependence on anything He created. For God, there is no chance or uncertainty. All His purposes, works, and commands are holy. He is due whatever worship, service, and obedience He is pleased to require from angels, people, and every other creature. In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power and eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Father is neither begotten nor proceeds from anyone. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, and the Holy Spirit
1: proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. One of the things that even that those paragraphs that you've just read point out is that when we talk about God, we have to be very, very careful that we don't have or we don't entertain unbecoming thoughts of God. Yeah. So many people's thoughts about God are so weak and pitiful. Um, he's the man upstairs. He's you know there's there's um, references where we're taking, where where our, even our thoughts of God are so light yeah. and airy and insufficient. Yeah, it's not safe to think about God untethered from the Word. Actually, mm-hmm. I
0: would say. Okay, so after hearing this attempt uh, to describe God from Trip, uh, you would think that people would be filled with a sense of awe. However, it seems that instead people are, are bored with God or have a low view of God or they shrink God down to a manageable size. Why do you guys think that we have such a low view
2: of God? Or, or maybe you don't think that's true. I, I think in part it, it's because it, it's safe. If we actually begin to see God as he really truly is and begin to try to wrap our minds around what we can't even wrap our minds around um, – Puts a demand upon us yeah. um, that we're uncomfortable with. Well, you, you're you're
1: exactly right. Narcy Sproul had pointed out a long time ago. You know, God doesn't change, and if He's holy, He's going to be eternally holy, and, and He's immutable. He's not going to change, and this is puts fear in people's um, mm-hmm. minds because uh, He's not going to wink at sin. He's not going to. He's not going to ignore that because He's a holy God, and so um, that. You know the, the reaction to that is not to think about him. Try to not to think about him at all. Mm-hmm.
2: I think it's C.S. Lewis that has said in the past that we don't necessarily want God to be God. We we really want God to be some sort of glorified um, Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. That that he's at our beck and call. That he's kind of a old, tottering, gentle, jolly soul that we can get some things from, yeah. um, but mm-hmm. not. Who God has revealed himself in, in god 's word
1: i don 't know who said it, but somebody said God made man in his own image, and we 've been trying to return the favor ever since
0: mm. <laughs> so obviously uh, we contemporary you know people of God um, are not the only generation with this problem like you, you look back at um, the people of Israel, and this was constantly their problem mm-hmm. is that they undervalued um, Undercomprehended, underappreciated God. And God knows that. And so God has actually given us a helpful corrective, hasn't He? Um, I see you have your Bible open, Isaiah 40. That's like one of the premier places where this takes place.
2: And what, what Isaiah is doing is coming to the, the people and saying, okay, and, and the context is there is going to be an exile. The Babylonians are coming and they're going to take the, the people of Israel away into captivity and Isaiah's saying, I want you to remember who God is in the midst of all of what's going to transpire, that He is not going to change, mm-hmm. that He is beyond your ability to comprehend. And and so the entire chapter of Isaiah 40, there's this is this refrain of to whom will you compare me? Yeah. God is saying. And and the understood answer is, Well, there is nobody that we can compare you to. Mm-hmm. The problem is that our tendency is to compare God, and primarily we compare God to the circumstances of our our lives, and the circumstances of our life seem bigger Mm -hmm. than God, seem more authoritative or, or powerful than God, and God is saying, really, in Isaiah 40, is anything compared to my Greatness, my glory, my majesty, my tenderness, my care, my control, yeah. my wisdom, my knowledge. And he goes through almost all of his attributes and says, No. There's nothing that compares to me.
0: And the way that he describes his attributes is in very uh, off, often colorful mm-hmm. language. So, the grass withers, the fou- the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So, I'm eternal. What other word do you know that's eternal? Mm-hmm. Uh, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. So, like you said, he's tender. And then he's fearsome. Uh, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. They are counted as the dust on the scale like so tightly packed together are all these seemingly you know opposing attributes of God, and he's saying exactly what you said, who, who
2: is like me? Name, name one. I mean, that last imagery of it, it, the nations are like the dust on the scales. I mean, imagine going to the grocery store and saying to the cashier as they're weighing your produce. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you dust off the scale cuz I don't want to pay for the dust <laughs> when I'm buying my my cucumbers or whatever. I mean, and God's saying that's kind of like what the nations are to me, just yeah. dust on a scale. Yeah. That we yeah. don't pay any attention to. That's yeah, a- even
1: beyond that, you think about the universe. I mean, we are we are the infinitesimal dust speck in the whole universe when mm-hmm. it really comes down to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean,
0: may- maybe there's one word to describe all of these attributes and i think trip he talks about one word being glory hmm. so when the bible speaks about god's glory how would what, what how, how is it defining it what's the definition of god's glory
1: uh, the 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 word glory just means uh, it well in the hebrew is kavod uh, kavod it was just a weighty heaviness uh, uh, you know it's an intangible subject i mean we when you talk about glory it's not something that you can put into a box or you can weigh or you can measure or see it's it's intangible but there's a there's a there's a gravitas to it you know I guess that, you know that would be an english word that might carry some of it but this gravitas is also <laughs> A wonder, a, a, a you know, a, a, a joy, a delight, a you know, a perfection. So it's just it's beyond the being weighty. It's also
2: um, just exploding your senses. Mm. Um, two things I would I would add to just Jonathan what Jonathan was saying. One is that our minds are so um, small in in some regard that we have to think of God as each of His attributes in isolation. Right. Um, and that is not who God is. Um, but it's really hard for us to try to comprehend God without saying, trying just to look at God as holy or God as loving or God as just. But God is all of his attributes all of the time. And our minds have trouble yeah. just grasping that. Yeah. And the other thing is we have moments where we behold something that makes us just pause in awe and wonder. Um, and oftentimes it's things in creation. Um, you know, you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, and you, you, you if you try to explain For, what that is and try to capture that in a photo, You or, ruin it. It's, yeah. it's, it's that immensity that's beyond
1: even description.
2: And yeah. God is that on steroids. I mean, yeah. God is beyond that in every possible way but to me that's one of the only few times in human life that we have that moment where we're like i don't know how to capture this i don't know how to capture it anyway i I used to get
1: those magazines arizona highways and there was a lot of pictures Mm. from the grand canyon it wasn't until i actually stood on the edge of it that i was just awestruck
2: yeah Yeah, well i I think it's the response of job in the end mm -hmm. of, of the book yeah I'd heard of you, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> but now I've seen you, <laughs> which is interesting yeah. because he God didn't
0: fix all of his problems yet. Mm-hmm. He just showed Job who he was, mm-hmm. and he he was he was cured. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gets to one of uh, Trip's statements about God's glory. So let's respond to at least one of these. We won't have time for all of them, but here's the first statement: Each one of us is hardwired for for uh, by
2: God for glory. Each one of us is hardwired by God for glory. And that's kind of what I was saying before. We we want to, I mean, experience things that that are awe inspiring. Whether that's music, whether that's a, a sunset, whether that's some aspect mm-hmm. of creation. I mean, even the birth of a child is is a glory moment in so yeah. many ways. So yeah.
0: we're, we're glory seekers. That's what it means to be made in the in the image of God. So um, well, we're gonna have to come back to this. I mean, there's a couple more because it relates to sin yep. and how even sin is in, in one sense seeking glory. It's just seeking the the wrong kind of glory. Mm-hmm. So we'll pick up on this tomorrow. You've been listening to The Gospel for Life. We hope that you um, have enjoyed this series. We've, we're going over Paul Tripp's book, Do You Believe? Brand new book about how to apply the most important doctrines to your everyday life. Very helpful. Um, we hope to see you next time.